I greet you, dear people, in the precious name of Jesus. And I don't say that just simply because that's what preachers are supposed to say. <laughs> but uh, I, I find it that way for myself, that the, the name of Jesus is precious. Jesus is precious to me. And I'm, I'm finding more and more as I journey in my walk with the Lord, I'm finding a, a, a deeper sense of, of joy and a deeper sense of, of, of preciousness in that relationship with Jesus. And I trust that you are finding the same thing. As the old gospel song says, sweeter gets the journey every day. Serving Jesus really pays. I found that true for myself and continue to find that true. So yes, this is Mother's Day. And I also say a very happy Mother's Day to all of you mothers. Various great men in history uh, have had things to share about their mothers, or they've given an expression of love and gratitude for mom. Uh, Thomas Edison, who we know as the inventor of electricity, uh, said that my mother was the making of me. Abraham Lincoln said, no man is poor who has had a godly mother. And there's been many other great men in history who have spoken wonderful words of appreciation for their mother, realizing that their mother is so much of who they are. And so I trust that as we go through this day, uh, that we would each have a, a refreshed appreciation for our mother. And so this morning, I would like to speak uh, maybe specifically to the ladies. This is a message that, that could be for all women. But that doesn't mean that we as men can, uh, can clock out yet, okay? <laughs> because there's going to be good nuggets of truth here for uh, the men as well. And for, and for the younger ladies and for the younger men. For all of us. This is the word of God that's for the people of God. And I believe it, it is valuable for all of us. But I invite you to 1 Samuel chapter 1. And we would like to look at the woman Hannah. We're going to look at, verse, uh, at chapters 1 and 2. Not all of chapter 2, but at least through verse 10 of chapter 2. And I've entitled this message, Characteristics of women of faith. Characteristics of women of faith. And we find these characteristics in this godly woman, Hannah. Now it's interesting how, how God raises up leaders. And in this particular situation, uh, we're coming out of the time of the judges where the scripture says every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It was somewhat of a, a lawless time in history. And in fact, in 1 Samuel chapter 3, we read that the word of the Lord was precious in those days. There was no open vision or... Uh, 
the word of the Lord was not being uh, revealed, made open, spoken to the people through, through prophets or through, even through judges, through various men at that point. And so you could say it was somewhat of a dark time in history. And so here we come to the book of Samuel, and we have God raising up leadership in this dark time. And he does it in a rather unique way. Now this leadership did come through uh, the Levitical line, Elkanah here, uh, and his husband being uh, from the Levites. So it came through the Levitical line, but it came in an unusual way in that this home, although a religious home, this home was divided. This home was divided. And let me just say that let us never underestimate the power of God to work in situations that would seem impossible to us. Situations that may seem less than ideal. Dare, we must never put God in a box, as it were. God is much greater than that. And so in this story, we have God working perhaps outside of the box in a situation that perhaps was not as it ought to be. Characteristics of women of faith. I would like to note five characteristics this morning. I will note the characteristic and then we'll read the verses that go along with them and we'll read through uh, this passage this way. First, I note that women of faith endure real problems. Women of faith endure real problems. For you women, that's probably not a surprise, is it? <laughs> Let's note verses 1 through 8. Now there was a certain man of Ramathaim Zophim, of Mount Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah the son of Jeroam, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. And he had two wives. We're barely into verse 2 and we have the first problem. <laughs> Let's keep reading. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other, Penina. And Penina had children, but Hannah had no children. Problem number two. And this man went up out of his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice unto the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. Let me pause for a moment. The phrase and name for God, the Lord of hosts, is found over 300 times in Scripture. This is fascinating to me. This is number one. This is the first time where the Lord of hosts appears in Scripture. The Lord Almighty, 
the Lord of the armies of heaven, that Lord. Now, it's very possible that Samuel wrote most of the book. And so maybe this was, this was a phrase, obviously, that originated with him, came out of his personal experience. Not sure how that was. I find that fascinating, though. Picking up in the middle of verse 3. And the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priests of the Lord, were there. That is, there at Shiloh, where the sacrifices were made. And when the time was that Elkanah offered, he gave to Penina his wife, and to all her sons and her daughters, portions. Notice there that Penina had multiple sons and daughters, okay? Which will give you an indication of the age of Elkanah and Hannah, okay? This wasn't a young married couple, okay? Hannah wasn't a young lady. Elkanah wasn't a young man. More than likely, they were somewhat on along in years. What age, I'm not sure. Verse 5, but unto Hannah he gave a worthy portion, or a double portion, for he loved Hannah. But the Lord had shut up her womb. Let me pause there a moment again. More than likely, Hannah was Elkanah's first love. His first wife. Why am I saying that? Well, the fact that she was barren uh, was not a very acceptable thing in their culture, and we'll note that in just a moment. And as you read in Scripture earlier, you understand that. And perhaps Elkanah was jumping ahead of God a bit here, but Hannah was barren. Hannah could not have children. And so, as a way of doing something about that, different times you find in Scripture the husband then marrying another wife in order to raise up seed, to have children. And so it is thought that more than likely Hannah was his first wife and Penina was just simply the second wife, the one that had the children, numerous sons and daughters. Verse 6, and Hannah's adversary also provoked her sore, for to make her fret, because the Lord had shut up her womb. Problem number three. And as he did so year by year, when she went up to the house of the Lord, so she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. Problem number four. Then said Elkanah, her husband, to her, Hannah, why weepest thou? And why eatest thou not? And why is thy heart grieved? Am not I better to thee than ten sons? <laughs> we'll pause there. <laughs> I find those questions a bit silly. What's wrong with you, honey? 
Why are you throwing such a fit? Why, why is this so hard on you? Why are you crying again? I mean, look at me. Am not I better than ten sons? <laughs> you know, he wasn't a young man. <laughs> Hannah's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you know, but I see in Elkanah, Elkanah, I see in Elkanah helplessness. Oh, my. I mean, this was wearing him out. Yeah. Marcus said this morning that going another way from God's way is not good. It wears people out. You end up looking foolish. This definitely was not God's perfect will. God permitted it. Maybe this is one of those situations in Scripture where the Apostle Paul, years later, was saying that there was a time when God winked at certain things, but now he calls all men to repentance. Maybe so. I don't know. But I see Elkanah as a helpless husband here. This is really weighing on the family. This is really weighing on him. It sounds a bit silly, but I think he's just expressing himself in anguish. And so I noted four problems. We won't look at them all, but we will consider, at least for just a few moments, the biggest one, at least in the culture of the day, and that was Hannah was barren. Hannah could not have children. And I understand that in that culture, this was the most dreaded fear of every woman, to be childless. You know, sons determined a woman's worth. To have no sons meant that you have no care when you get old. To have no sons meant that whenever your husband passed away, you would probably be a beggar. And to be childless was considered by many to be a curse from God. They considered it that severe. That something's not right about you. Something's wrong with your life. That God is probably settling the score with you over some previous wrongdoing in your life. Now it's your time to pay. And the insults would go on and on. Hannah, if you would have done this or this, or if you wouldn't have done this, or, you know, on and on. And it's probably nearly impossible for most of us to understand the seriousness of this problem, and for us to understand the severity of this pain. And yet, if we think back just a moment to the story of Sarah and the story of Rachel, maybe we get just a little glimpse into how severe it was for the women in that culture. And I'm not by any means underestimating the pain of it 
for women today in our churches, in our culture. But if you think about Sarah and about Rachel a number of years earlier, you understand that they were both childless. And in fact, Rachel perhaps screamed or yelled at her husband Jacob and said, Give me children or I'll die. <laughs> Poor Jacob. And this is what he said, Do you think I'm God? <laughs> I mean, hold it. But, and it didn't just stop with that. We see both of these ladies giving their husbands their servant girl to have children with so that their reproach would be somewhat washed away. Really? Really? We can't imagine that. What woman would offer to share the marriage bed with, an, with another lady just so that they could have, quote, a child under their name? And yet, I'm just saying it gives a glimpse into the seriousness of this problem. It gives a glimpse into the anguish of soul that was felt by these ladies. This was a situation that was huge to them. And so, here's Hannah in this situation. Here is Hannah in this problem. And so, we could say that those yearly trips to Shiloh were very trying for Hannah. And that's probably an understatement. And not only because of the mocking and the taunting that she received from the other wife, Penina, but maybe also because of the awful sting of unanswered prayer. Think about that. Here they were going to worship the Lord Almighty. And yet, he hasn't answered this one. That stings a little bit, doesn't it? Maybe you have an unanswered prayer in your life. Maybe you've been praying for a long time about something and something's painful in your experience. And these times of going to worship God perhaps stung a bit for Hannah. And so this is just a little glimpse into one of the problems that Hannah was facing. And yet, Hannah was a woman of faith. And let me just say that a woman of faith is not determined by the kind of situations that they face in life. She is not in a separate or unique class in this way at all. A woman of faith endures real problems just like every other woman. The difference is... A woman of faith is determined by how she chooses to respond to these real problems. A woman of faith is determined and defined by what she does when these problems come into her life, when God allows that. See, in times like this, a woman of faith 
turns to the Lord Almighty. A woman of faith turns to the Lord of hosts. It has been said that the same boiling water that softens potatoes hardens eggs. It's all about what you're made of, not your circumstances. I think I saw that down on the school wall some time ago, maybe another year. It's the same boiling water, but it softens potatoes, it hardens eggs. It's all about what you're made of, not your circumstances. And I'll add to that, what you're made of is directly connected to your level of commitment to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this being Mother's Day, uh, I would like to share just a little illustration about my grandmother. Grandma Good. And although she's not a grandma to all of us here, yet she was sort of known as Grandma Good. Beulah to this congregation. But, and this is not to bring glory to Grandma, but it's, it's to bring glory to Grandma's God. And I trust that we can be blessed by it as well. But, you know, Grandma was one of those people where that she wasn't out front in the crowd. You didn't hear her voice above others. Uh, she wasn't necessarily the most beautiful person you've ever seen, although she was cute, maybe you could say. <laughs> but yet, Grandma was gorgeous. <laughs> there was something about Grandma that just was so attractive. And what it is, there was a theme that, that flowed rich throughout Grandma's life, and that was the theme of thankfulness. I know that if you knew Beulah, you understood that, that Grandma was just, she was a thankful lady. She just had a deep sense of trust in God. She was at peace with where she was in life. And that flowed out of her. And especially in those last few years of her life, thankfulness showed up numerous times. Even when she was moved from place to place, which was quite a big change for an older lady, she would say, thank you. She was thankful. She expressed gratefulness for the help she received. When she was helped in and out of vehicles and chairs and so forth with a walker or something, she would often say, thank you, thank you. And even on her dying bed, her last words were, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> now, I ask you, why was that? Was it because that grandma, her life was all smooth sailing? No hardships, no trials? Everything went as she wanted it to go? Not at all. In fact, many times it was the other way around. Grandma had some very difficult experiences in life. Grandma's mother passed away when Grandma was just 14 years old. And then Grandma sort of had to be the mom. And then soon after they got married, they lost their little son Richard, being run over by a, a farm wagon. And years later, they lost their son, Daniel. And other bumps along the way, of course. Grandma didn't have the easiest of lives. And yet, 
there was a theme that flowed rich throughout her life, and that was thankfulness. She was at peace. You see, there was something very deep within Grandma that made the difference. Her disposition in life was not founded in the happenings of life. But her disposition in life was rooted in her vibrant personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. And flowing out of that, there was the calmness. There was the trust. And there was the joy. Even when the situations weren't that great. That's a challenge to me. Grandma has definitely left a legacy of thankfulness. What legacy are we leaving? We are leaving one, by the way. Back to Hannah. Hannah knew what hard times were all about. But once again, being a woman of faith, she knew where to turn. And that was to the Almighty God. And we note verses 9 through 18. And that is that women of faith extend vibrant prayers. Women of faith extend vibrant prayers. Verse 9. So Hannah rose up after they had eaten in Shiloh and after they had drunk. Now Eli the priest sat upon a seat by a post of the temple of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts. If thou wilt indeed look on the affliction of thine handmaid and remember me and not forget thine handmaid, but will give unto thine handmaid a man-child, then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life, and there shall no razor come upon his head. And it came to pass, as she continued praying before the Lord, that Eli marked her mouth. Now Hannah, she spake in her heart, only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli thought she had been drunken. And Eli said unto her, How long wilt thou be drunken? Put away thy wine from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Count not thine handmaid for a daughter of Belial, for out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken hitherto. Then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant thee thy petition that thou hast asked of him. And she said, Let thine handmaid find grace in thy sight. So the woman went her way and did eat, and her countenance was no more sad. Women of faith extend vibrant prayers. Now, in these verses, we find Hannah broken, yet believing. Broken yet believing. Women of faith believe in the power of prayer. They believe that prayer works, that it's effective. So, for example, the verse in James 5 16, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man and woman availeth much. They believe that. (laughs) They believe that there is power in prayer, that it's effective, that it makes a difference. They don't just pray hoping, but they pray in faith. I want you to note Hannah's prayer. Hannah's prayer was born out of sorrow and suffering. We note that in verse 10. Look at the picture. She was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept sore. 
Look at verse 13. She was so broken that she could not even speak. She was so sorrowful that the words just... And no doubt she had prayed this prayer so many times. Have you ever been in anguish to the point where you just, you just kneel there and you say, your heart is just so heavy, you just don't even know what to say. You don't even know how to say it. Isn't it wonderful that in Romans chapter 8 we read that the Spirit helps us in those moments? The Spirit knows our heart. And the Spirit takes our prayer that is not even spoken, but the Spirit takes that prayer to the throne. Wow. That's beautiful. But here we have a picture of a woman who was in such deep anguish. She couldn't even speak. Verses 15 and 16, she says, I'm a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Verse 16, out of the abundance of my complaint and grief have I spoken. That's, that's what she was going through. That's a picture of what it looked like for Hannah right then. And so Hannah's prayer was born out of that sorrow, out of that suffering. I also note that, note that her prayer involved submission. I noticed that in this first chapter of 1 Samuel, five times we have the word handmaid. I think at least four of those times, she is referring to herself, I am your handmaid. In other words, I am your servant. I am your servant. I am the servant of the Lord. That's submission. I find it interesting that in Luke chapter 1, after Mary got the news from the angel Gabriel about the miraculous birth that was to happen, she responded in the same way. She said, Behold, the handmaid of the Lord, be it unto me even as you have said. Submission, surrender. That is an important ingredient in effective prayer. Mm -hmm. And then I also note her prayer involves sacrifice. Verse 10. Sacrifice. I'm sorry, verse 11. She says, Remember me. Do not forget your handmaid. But give unto your handmaid a man-child. Then I will give him unto the Lord all the days of his life. Sacrifice. These are... These are important things for us to note when it comes to prayer, okay? Sorrow and suffering, submission and sacrifice. In other words, it's the posture of a beggar saying, Lord, I need you. There's nothing in and of myself that I can do about this. I'm exhausted. I'm broken. There is no way to turn. I need you. And God has a special place in his heart for people like that. People that have finally gotten to the end of themselves and said, Lord, I'll do whatever you want me to do. And here, Hannah did the ultimate. 
by saying, I'll give you my son. If you give me a son, I'll give him to you for the rest of his life. There's also a sad truth that's revealed in these verses, and that is this. Wholehearted, or you could say radical allegiance to the Lord Jesus Christ, often brings criticism. It often does. And we see this criticism from the priest Eli of all people. But here we have a woman that was in anguish of spirit, pouring her soul out to God. Just completely, she was not thinking about how she looked. <laughs> she was not trying to be pious. She was not trying to be that Pharisee standing in the temple. She was completely in her world with God, just pouring herself out in desperation, and she gets slapped for it, basically. You know, and that happens. That happens. You give yourself to God. You pour yourself out, everything you've got to God. Someone is probably going to make light of you. Someone is probably going to look at you funny. Someone's probably going to misunderstand you. But let me tell you, God will defend you. God will defend you. Think of people in Scripture other than this who have poured themselves out to God, completely given themselves to God in a moment, complete surrender and worship to God. And they were scoffed by men, but they were honored and blessed by God. And I mentioned the one being, think of the publican who was standing back in the corner of the temple, just completely in utter despair over his, his spiritual need. And the Pharisee was like, God, I thank you that I'm not like that guy. Think about the woman who poured the expensive box of perfume, ointment, on Jesus, just in complete worship. And what a Judas and some of the other disciples, they said, what a waste. That should have been sold. It could have been sold for many, many, many thousands of dollars. And that money given to the poor, like they cared. You see, pour yourself out to God, give him everything, and you'll probably, you'll probably get slapped a bit for it by some. But God will defend you. Do not allow that to, to sidetrack you from giving God your all. Women of faith pray in faith that God will answer their request. In other words, they pray with expectation. And I believe God takes note of that. In fact, we see that. And I need to move along. Number three is that women of faith experience God's provision. Women of faith experience God's provision. Verses 19 and 20. And they rose up in the morning early and worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house to Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. Wherefore it came to pass when the time was come about after Hannah had conceived that she bare a son and called his name Samuel saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. In other words, Samuel means asked of God. Asked of God. 
And in these verses, we see that Hannah is blessed. So she goes from being barren to being broken and, what was the other thing? Believing to being blessed. And certainly God had provided for Hannah in a very real way. And no, God doesn't always answer our prayers exactly like we wished, exactly like we expected. But he will always provide for us. And his way is always best. <laughs> Did I just say that? <laughs> yes, it is. You know, I'm reminded of the powerful provisions of God in that every time he opened a closed womb in the Bible, a great character was born. Every time he opened a closed womb in the Bible, a great character was born. Think about Sarah in her barrenness. We have Isaac. Sarah, in her barrenness, came Joseph. Think of Manoah's wife was barren. And Samson was born. Think of, um, well, Hannah here. And we have Samuel. Think of Elizabeth. John the Baptist. And there may be others. I find that fascinating. And to me, it speaks of the power of God and that he can take a situation that, that seems completely hopeless and impossible and turn it into something of great beauty and usefulness. Isn't that amazing? People of faith not only experience God's provisions, but along with that, they acknowledge, they see them, and they praise God for them. And I just, I just mention that because God blesses people all the world around in many different ways, not just believers. But the provisions of God are poured out onto the world and many people pass them by. Many people do not acknowledge them. Even many believers do not see them for what they truly are. How often... Have we prayed for something, maybe for a long time, and then God finally answered and we say, it's about time. No, maybe we don't say it, but in our mind we're like, what has he been waiting on? That's not Hannah's attitude. Hannah says, for this child I prayed and the Lord answered. <laughs> it was an attitude of, of faith. I expected this because I prayed and God answered. Yes, in his own perfect timing, God answered. For this child I prayed and the Lord answered. Perhaps one of the greatest sins that we as believers commit is the sin of not acknowledging the many rich blessings that God pours on us. When we have committed our lives to the Lord... When we have surrendered our hearts to him. And then for some reason we expect God to do things for us. As, as if we have rights. Like since I did this now God will have to do that. Like a bargaining thing. <laughs> and so then when God does something for us we're like well yeah. Well yeah. Or even if he does something for us we completely, we completely sideswipe it. Ooh we got lucky. Ooh that was a close accident. Ooh so ooh, lucky fortunate. You know. Hannah's attitude of, of believing God 
And then God answering for this child I prayed speaks to me. And so, yes, Hannah received what she asked for, but remember she had made a vow. And so as we read on, we see that women of faith excel at keeping promises. <laughs> women of faith excel at keeping promises. Verse 21, And the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer in the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vow. But Hannah went not up, for she had said unto her husband, I will not go up until the child be weaned, and then I will bring him that he may appear before the Lord and there abide forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said unto her, Whatever you think is best, honey, tarry until thou have weaned him. Only the Lord establish his word. So the woman abode and gave her hun suck until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her with three bullocks and one ephah of flour and a bottle of wine and brought him unto the house in the Lord of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slew a bullock and brought the child to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as thy soul liveth, my Lord, I am the woman. <laughs> you remember me? I am the woman that stood by thee here praying unto the Lord for this child. And she probably was holding that little boy right here. For this child, I pray. And the Lord hath given me my petition, which I asked of him. Therefore also, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he liveth, he shall be lent to the Lord. And he, little Samuel, worshipped the Lord there. <laughs> In these last two sections, we quickly want to note that this woman goes from being blessed to blessing. <laughs> from being blessed to blessing. And I just want to note her commitment here. Okay, so she made a vow. And women of faith excel in keeping their promises. She committed little Samuel to the Lord before he was even conceived. And then she dedicated him to the Lord, no doubt, when he was born. Which you can tell partly because of his name that she chose. But also because of their religious rites after a little boy was born. As religious Jews would do, they dedicated him to the Lord. But then I noticed that she gave him to the Lord when she was weaned. She followed through with the vow that she made. And it was not a hasty or momentary commitment at all. But it was a once for all commitment that she never looked back on. I mean that, that was what she had promised the Lord. And there was no negotiating. It didn't matter if he was cute or not. It, it didn't matter. It didn't matter. <laughs> she had promised to give him to the Lord. And she fulfilled that promise. Can you imagine how hard that must have been to leave little Sam at the temple? Imagine how much she missed him. Imagine how much she anticipated those trips, those yearly trips to go back and, and see, not only worship the Lord, but see little Sam, you know? Imagine how hard it must have been to leave him there. You know, things at the temple weren't that great at that time. Eli had his problems, but his boys had some much greater problems. And so, this wasn't like the most holy place you could be. Does that sound interesting? That's where it was that day. But she left her little boy there, and God took care of him. You see, he was the Lord's. You see, there's no safer place for our children to be than in the hands of God. 
I've been challenged different times by listening to Otto Koning uh, preach about stories uh, related to the, the pineapple story. And one of his themes in those sermons is consecrating what you have to God. Give it up. God can take a lot better care of it than you can, even your children. Let them have them. And so Otto Koning and his wife, they, they consecrated all kinds of things to the Lord. <laughs> Not just their children, but I mean their tools and everything. They just gave them to God. Say, God, and you know what that does? That frees us. We're not so defensive. We're not so protective. They're the Lord's. And God can take care of them better than we can. Give them. That was the attitude of Hannah. But then imagine Hannah's joy as she watched that little Sam develop into a man of God. As she'd go back year after year and little Sam was growing and, and he had maturity. In fact, the scripture says that, well, what does it say? It says that... Um, he grew on and was in favor both with the Lord and also with men. Quite a gentleman he was, I'm sure. But her investment, her promise was paying off. It was worth the sacrifice. And dear people, I just simply ask you, what about your promises? Uh, you know, you've made some promises, by the way. Uh, think about your commitment to Jesus Christ. Think about your, uh, those of you who are married, think about your commitment to your spouse. You've made some promises, by the way. Uh, members of the church, uh, you've made some promises to the church. In fact, uh, you've also made some promises to the larger body of believers. At least more than once a year, you, you, uh, you pledge your support to our, to our statement of faith and to our conference and to what we, we agree on as, as members of this church group. Those are promises that you're making. Um, think about your, your promises that you've made uh, to the church in various ways, such as our internet accountability, our responsibility to one another. Think about your promises that you've made to your children, perhaps, to your families. Think about your promises that you've made to others, maybe some to neighbors, maybe in, in the business world, um, maybe to some customers. Are you keeping your promises? <laughs> People of faith excel at keeping promises. It's important to them. They don't just mindlessly say things and walk along. Hannah kept her promise. We must keep ours as well in multiple ways. Lastly then, we note that Hannah's prayer of thanksgiving was very similar to Mary's uh, Magnificat, as we know it, in Luke chapter 1. But this has been known here as the Magnificat of the Old Testament. We have a woman bursting out in praise and joy because of God's working in her life and in the life of the people in general. But I just say it this way, that women of faith can't hide their relationship with God. It will spill out. It will spill out. And I want you to notice Hannah's attitude as she leaves her little son at the temple. The scripture doesn't say that she left crying. Now, she was a mother, and I'm sure it was a tearjerker in some ways. But look at where her focus was. You see, springing out of a heart of consecration flows in indescribable peace and joy. 
And that isn't just true of Hannah, but that's true of each of us. Surrender your heart and life to Jesus Christ. Give Him everything. Make that ultimate sacrifice and God will fill you with deep peace. God will fill you with, with an indescribable joy because you've given Him your all. You see, God, Hannah had just given God her greatest treasure on earth and in return, God gave her what He promises all of us. Verse 1, And Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoices in the Lord, and mine horn or my strength is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies, because I rejoice in thy salvation. She prayed with great joy in her heart, and then she prayed with thanks to the Lord for his help. There is none holy as the Lord. There is none beside thee. Neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy come out of your mouth. For the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty men are broken, and they that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread, and they that were hungry ceased. So that the barren hath borne seven... And she that hath many children is waxed feeble. In fact, Hannah did go on to have five more children. So she gave up one and God gave her five more. The Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. Verse 8, he raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar from the dunghill so to set them among princes and to make them inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he has set the world upon them. He will keep the feet of his saints and the wicked shall be silent in darkness for by strength shall no man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them. The Lord shall judge the ends of the earth, and he shall give strength unto his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Amen. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, it has been such a joy to look into your word again this morning. What nuggets of truth are there for us? And Father, we want to thank you for the example of Hannah who certainly was a woman of faith, although we don't find her in the Hebrews of, uh, the, the heroes of faith that we see there in Hebrews 11, yet we find her in your scripture here in 1 Samuel 1, and it is a woman of faith that challenges us today. And Father, I pray that we would take her example, whether it's women or men here this morning, we would take her example and be people that are consecrated to the Lord Jesus Christ people that are totally surrendered to you, realizing that it is through that that we gain great blessings and deep peace and joy. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless uh, this service, bless it, Father, to our lives, and may we grow thereby, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.